0: A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview
1: Hello and welcome to the 73rd episode of Curiosityness. I am the host, Travis DeRose, and this is the show where we discuss and I interview people who know a lot about subjects that you might be interested and curious about. So this episode, we're talking about Bigfoot Sasquatch. I have on Daniel Perez. He is the editor of Bigfoot Times and the creator of Bigfoot Times, which is a a journal newsletter that gets sent out. And he, Daniel has been doing this for nearly all of his life, ever since he was a teenager. So he has an incredible knowledge and understanding of Bigfoot and all the sightings and evidence and, you know, arguments in favor and against Bigfoot. So it was really fun to talk to him. He's got a great angle of attack at all this stuff where he's not saying stuff is conclusive. He'll talk about how the evidence looks, leads a certain way or looks a certain way. And, you know, it's just kind of speculation where you can't say, you know, do Bigfoot bury their dead. You know, he can't prove that. So he and he admits that stuff, which is great. So I think Daniel uh, takes a good angle at this stuff. So I think you'll appreciate it. And uh, it's just a fun, fun episode where we talk about Bigfoot sightings, footprints, photos and film of it, DNA evidence Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. Oh, and what's interesting, I love this, is the population size, how there could be a small population, which is similar to the wolverine, which is a real animal, which also has a small population. So I'm talking fast, I'm rambling, because this is exciting. I'm going to stop now and let Daniel take over. So here is episode 73 with Daniel Perez. All right, Daniel, how's it going? It's going fine. Cool. Good to have you on. This is exciting. This is uh, fun stuff to talk about that I think everyone has, you know, encountered in their lifetime and is just kind of naturally intriguing, you know? It's a little bit different from the politics of the day, huh? (laughs) Very true, yeah. You know, I was just up in, I just happened to be up in um, Santa Cruz a few days ago and I stopped at the, the Bigfoot Museum by, I think it's Michael Rugg is his name.
2: Yeah, Mike Rugg is the proprietor of that big Bigfoot Museum, a small one, and it's been there, oh, I'm thinking since 2008 or thereabouts.
1: Yeah. No, that was pretty cool because I wasn't, I wasn't planning on that. We had already scheduled this call, and I just happened to drive by that and stop by that, and, and he was there. So we got to talk to him for a bit, and he knew you right away. I, I mentioned your name, and he said you were one of the youngest guys to come to him.
2: That's true. That's true. That was, uh, back when I was a teenager, I met him and that was probably in the late seventies, early eighties. Wow. So yeah. I've been on the track, I've been on the
1: track of Bigfoot for quite a while. Yeah, man, that's awesome. you you're, you're in this for the long haul for sure. Huh, Daniel?
2: Uh, because of my interest in the subject, you know, it just keeps going and going, and it hasn't been resolved. I mean, we're, no one is certain that Bigfoot is out there, but we think it is, but no one can prove it. How's that?
1: Right. Yeah. So it's really is that the that's the end goal then, right there, is to kind of get some definitive evidence. Well,
2: that's a good question. If that's the end goal for many of the researchers or investigators, because you got to remember. <clears throat> the current crop of investigators and researchers are now turning to social media and turning to likes on tweets and whatever it is. Mm. And it seems like maybe there is no end goal. Maybe it's just, it's just amusement for the day. And it's just like, I was just talking with some people that are investigating some activity in the Ozarks in Missouri. And, uh, I asked them that very question. It's just like I said, is there any end game, any end goal in terms of trying to get one or get some
3: physical evidence? And they seem to be a little bit at a loss as to
1: answering that question. Hmm, Interesting. So it's just kind of been, I mean, I can imagine that people would just kind of jump on board just to get the, the likes and the publicity and the TV shows and all that stuff, huh?
2: well sure i uh, in fact i i'm pretty confident you know with finding bigfoot those people the four people that were on that show mm-hmm. they didn't become household names to the american public but they became household names to the bigfoot community that follows this stuff okay and so now a december starting in december on the travel channel There's going to be a new show called Expedition Bigfoot. And this time, it's almost the same recipe as far as I can see because they have one woman as part of a team with a bunch of guys. And uh, I guess maybe they're copycatting a little bit, finding Bigfoot. And again, it's going to the television. And I wrote about that in the latest edition of the Bigfoot Times and maybe a little bit sarcastically or... I wrote that uh I said I can assure you that probably none of the evidence they collect will ever be reviewed
1: in a peer-reviewed scholarly journal. So, okay. Yeah, so I guess what I guess I can kind of you're kind of leading me on it, but yeah, what are your what are your thoughts of shows like that really or or those folks who are doing Well, it?
2: I think I think it it engages the public momentarily and it's entertainment, but in terms of serious science, let's just put it this way. You gotta cut the fat from the meat, and when you start looking at all these shows, there really is some content wrapped around a bunch of fat, and it's just like you just have to know what to look for, because I've I've been in discussions with one of the people from Finding Bigfoot, Cliff Perakman, who lives up in Portland, Oregon, and he's done some really fine work, and we've had some very specific discussions about very specific cases that I was intrigued by, like a photo of, uh, I guess, one of them, a Bigfoot. I guess it was a camera trip photo where there's the subject is squatting down and the owner of the property was wondering about the apples being stolen from the tree and he was wondering who did it. So he put the camera trap up and he got this and it sure looks like a bigfoot that has, I guess you would maybe think mange or something because it looks like it's got a bunch of spots where there's no hair and it looks really interesting. And so that is one of the, the meaty portions that is worthy of further discussion. A lot of the other stuff you just kind of have to put aside and just keep
0: moving.
1: I see. That's. I mean, that's a fair point. They're trying to entertain people on a TV show and and keep them watching after the, you know, come back after the commercial break. So their their motives are a little different for a, a show like that on the Travel Channel. Yeah.
2: yeah. Exactly.
1: Right.
0: So.
2: And 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 the thing is, it's just like, I mean, there there's good and bad to it. I think mostly good because. Another generation of individuals become hooked and interested in the subject matter. And in fact, my introduction to the Bigfoot world was when I was about 10 years old by a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. And that was about 1973. And prior to that time, I didn't know anything about the subject. There was no internet. Uh, So most of the information you got was either from a newspaper from a book that you got from the library or from a television program. In this case, I saw The Legend of Boggy Creek at a theater. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And that's how I got hooked on the subject. And in fact,
3: at 10 years old, when I saw the movie, I couldn't believe that they were presenting it as trying to be
2: factual, as trying to be like this is this is serious stuff, mm-hmm. and so I started going to the library and checking books out on the Bigfoot subject, and I thought, well, that's interesting. All of these people are claiming to have seen stuff, and one thing led to another, and so I just over the years became a bigfoot investigator and researcher. And all these years later, into 2019, I'm still doing it with the same rigor as back then.
1: <laughs> nice, man. I love that, Daniel, where it just kind of, you just slowly got into it and it just snowballed and it's it just has you hooked, huh? And now I'm hooked because
2: the idea that in North America, the United States, Canada, that we have that there's a possibility that there could be another primate living here like us, but completely undetected by modern science. And modern science really has largely ignored the whole thing. Uh, And so I'm intrigued by the possibility that there's something out there, and it's just like
3: you would think that
2: these things – Maybe millions of years ago they could have existed, but now, today, it seems almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Yet, all you have to do is log on to the BFRO website, and you'll see some current sightings there, current reports, from all over the United States. And it's hard to believe, but when you get out there in the field and you start looking around in some of the areas where these reports are taking place, it all starts to make sense because there's a lot of... as as populated as the United States is, as California, there's
3: a lot of places out there where there's very little
1: people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of woods. Right. So, Okay, so that kind of leads to sort of a question where I am you know, with your experience and time devoted to this and all the research that you've spent into this, what does it seem the evidence is leading to that, like, how would you describe what bigfoot is like is it a like a a singular creature is it a species like what you know how, well, how can you describe it
2: they based
1: on the reports from
2: all over the united states there would be zero possibility that it would be a singular species a singular animal right i mean if it were a singular animal it would die off and that would be the end of that yeah there's more the logical Conclusion is we have a population of these things. How many I don't know that are breeding and continuing on to this very day. And when I say that to a casual person who hasn't, doesn't investigate or research the subject, you would think that this is absolute lunacy. But it's just like that's what the information, the data from the reports, from the witnesses seems to be telling us that we have. A population out there and it's just like it's you can almost think of it like a a person hair covered living in the woods but not like a man in any sense that there's no civilization
3: there it's just uh a wild animal going about its business uh living finding mates and eating man and it, it's just yeah
1: Well, I imagine it's because there's so many questions that people have where it's like, you know, well, how is it so, how is it so elusive that we haven't been able to kind of see one of these species and everything? But it's, I mean, how do you answer those kinds of questions?
3: Well,
2: um, here's the thing. It's just like there can't be many of them. Uh Let's just say for the sake of argument a round number, 5,000 or 10,000 in all of the United States and Canada. Okay. That is, if you were to just say there's 10,000 of them in North America for the sake of argument, that is almost nothing in terms of a population. When in the state of Ohio, you have over a million deer Mm -hmm. just in one state. And so all of a sudden you have 10,000, but spread out all over North America. That's a very small number, and so that would not imply, but the logic behind that is that very few people would see them, uh, and that's, that's what's happening. It's just like there are sightings, but it's not by... Uh, it's just like you and I can walk out of our front door, and at any given time we'll probably see a cat or a dog because they're extremely common I don't even know how many cats and dogs there are in the United States, but I'm sure there are millions. And that's why having a sighting of a cat and dog is no big deal. It happens all the time. And no one no one says, oh, I saw a dog. I saw a cat because it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. Right. But a big one is a big deal, and it's, it
3: doesn't happen all the time. And when someone sees one, it's just like, first of all, uh, they're wondering, did I see what I thought I saw? Right. And then when they start to
2: realize, they said, you know, I saw something that was probably very extraordinary. And it's almost like in the, in, in Bigfooting, it's almost like winning the Bigfoot lotto in terms of having a sighting because it doesn't happen that often. And uh, because these things are just going about their business. And the data seems to imply that we're dealing with a nocturnal species that favors nocturnalism, Mm. functioning at night as opposed to functioning at daytime. And so if they're operating at night while we operate the human species during the daytime, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of overlap. And it's just like the sightings are probably going to be coming from people who are on lonely wooded roads at night, who happen to see something that crosses the road in front of their vehicle, and that 's very, very common
3: right so that that kind of that kind of explains in a nutshell what it 's all
1: about mhm yeah no that that makes sense where it's just kind of the luck of the draw if you are going to see them because there there just cannot be so that many of them but ha- do you yeah. know of any and, of the let, let me stop. Can I stop you for a moment? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Daniel.
2: And forget about Bigfoot for a moment. Let's talk about a real species that we know for a fact exists, the Wolverine in North America.
0: Uh-huh.
3: There are so few Wolverine sightings because the reason for that is the population of the Wolverine is so small.
2: According to field biologists, it probably runs in the thousands of small thousands maybe 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 you 're looking at maybe six thousand scattered throughout north america oh
0: wow and that 's wow. why
2: you see and that's that 's why people people say, "Well, what is a wolverine why don 't they talk about it more because it 's almost this elusive species that we know for a fact exists, but it again lives high up in the mountains and has a favorite nocturnal activity. And that's why
1: people don't see them that often. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. That's a great comparison. It's a great analogy. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And then, so, okay, well, that kind of answered my question then, because I was curious if there's been, you know, research into what kind of is the smallest population that could support a species and they could continue to, you know... To live on without really that, going extinct and having genetic, you know, whatever. That,
2: that's the that's the million dollar question. It's just like Dr. Jeff Naldrum at Idaho State University in Pocatello has often that, or has kind of made the comparison of a Bigfoot population to a bear population, and bear population in certain living in certain areas. And trying to take the, the bear data and extrapolate it uh, to where you could say, like, okay, this might give us a fair number as to how many Bigfoot there might be in North America. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is uh, we don't know, and I suspect even after we establish that Bigfoot is a real biological entity, that it may take decades before we even have a handle on it. because. They're so bloody elusive. Yeah. It, it it might be it might end up being a good guessing game as to how many there are in terms of population, and that would be after the fact rather than before the fact. And as to as to say you and I are both in California, let's just say for the sake of argument, there might be fifty here in California up in the northern part maybe some scattered in the sierras it's just like nobody really knows as to what minimum you have to have in terms of population to keep the population going it yeah. seems like if you get below a certain number you're doomed but uh, we don't know if that number has has we've gone below that number because they continue to have sightings and it it continues to seem like Whatever is out there is still out
1: there. Yeah.
2: So they seem doing just fine.
1: Right. Yeah. Interesting. So, and then does I mean the fact that we haven't really I mean there are sightings and there's you know footage and photos and everything, um, but is it really is it just kind of the fact? Do you think that there's just not many of them, or do they? Do they seem to have behaviors where they're just very, you know, elusive or skittish or extremely well at hiding or something like that? Well, again, everything I'm saying to you would
2: be speculation based yeah. on the data that's available. Right. And I would suspect what's out there is probably the second most intelligent primate on the planet, the second most intelligent life form on the
3: planet, and that it probably has the capacity to know a lot of things in terms of uh
2: what people are doing out in the woods in their area as to when they need to be alert and when they don't need to be alert. And so that might give them the benefit of being able to hide at a moment's notice. Right. But again, I don't I don't know. It's just like if it was just some dumb wild ape you would think that like the gorilla uh, and i wouldn't say the gorilla is dumb but we would have discovered it a long time ago
3: but we have not that is not the case
1: yeah man so uh, yeah like to, kind of talking about the you know the brain size or anything like that has there been any um fossils that have been found or anything like that no in fact
2: that's that's one of the big arguments against the reality of Bigfoot as a biological entity is that never once to my knowledge has anyone brought forward uh bones that would indicate these species that a species is out there yeah. uh There have been reports of people finding bones and seeing dead bodies, but no one can prove what they claim. Uh, In fact, in 1967, two girls out in Happy Camp, California, claimed that they were out in the woods looking for those Chinese bottles that apparently were thrown in the woods by, I guess, when they had Chinese encampments. And uh, instead, on this fire trail, they came upon a dead Bigfoot, or so they say. Mm-hmm. But they never went back to take a picture of it, and no one ever, no one else could ever verify that this was the case. And so, it's a story. Yeah. But had, had they been able to take some, you know, to get some physical evidence of what they saw,
3: uh, we may have solved the Bigfoot
1: mystery way back in 1967. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this. To me, this would be the frustrating part where, you know, it's people like then the the question kind of leads to it's like, well, what do what does this Bigfoot species do with their the dead and their remains? Do they leave them there? Do they bury them? But it's like, you know, how, you wouldn't be expected to have an answer to that. It's just speculation.
2: Again, it's it's speculation. One might. In fact. I recall reading, or at least I thought I read, in the late Ray Crow, who was a Bigfoot investigator from Oregon, and he published a newsletter called The Track Record. And in The Track Record, I think there was a report of a man who had seen what apparently seemed like a burial of one of these things. And uh, I don't know, I've never followed up on the report, but it's intriguing if that is the case. And if they're burying their dead, uh, it might say something about who these things are in terms of uh, what their
3: thought processes are and, you know, whether they have a uh, something of a rudimentary culture.
1: Mm-hmm. So I suppose we could just sort of use the same reasoning, though, that we haven't been able to find any remains just on the fact that it isn't a large species. There's not a large population of them. So we just haven't stumbled upon it yet.
2: Well, I have no answer. I I really have no answer as to why we haven't found any physical remains. But in general, in general, when you go out in the woods, you don't see a whole lot of dead animals out there. Yeah, that's true. And one one of the few times... Uh, Buddy and I went hiking here in Southern California, out in the Palm Springs area, high up in the mountains. And I guess I, I probably forgot that there were uh, bighorn sheep or sheep up in the mountains.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we we saw some sheep
3: up there, which was interesting in itself. But we came upon the skull and the, the what do you call them? The antlers of a sheep Way
2: high up in the mountain And it was one of the few times Where I've seen uh, The remains of a dead animal The the skeletal remains And we both got the impression Like probably a mountain lion or something Had drug it up This kind of mountainside Where you could kind of hike up And it was kind of hidden behind some rocks Mm -hmm. And that's the impression we got I took some photos And again, that was the first and only, not the first, but where I really saw what I would consider substantial remains of uh, a dead animal. But that's few and far between.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never even, I haven't seen that at all, but I generally stick to like national park, like fairly heavily populated paths and trails and stuff. So that may be different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh so I'm curious about the about the Wolverine if why do you think that cuz we have like there's not really a dispute as if the Wolverine exists or or not is there?
2: No, absolutely not. We, we it, the Wolverine is a factual animal. There's no question that it exists. But because the numbers are so low, there you could probably ask 100 people the next time you go out to the shopping mall And probably not one of them could tell you that they've seen a Wolverine with their own eyeballs yeah, because they're so... But you ask those 100 people, have you ever seen a dog, a cat, or a deer? And you'll probably get 99 of those people who will say, oh, yeah.
1: Right. The only Wolverine they've probably seen is uh, Hugh Jackman, I would guess. Yeah, a Wolverine on TV. That's it. (laughs) So why do you... Any like thoughts as to why we've definitively, you know, that the Wolverine is an animal, but Bigfoot is still unproven?
3: Because we have no physical evidence.
1: Okay, and we've we've just I mean, not the physical that, evidence that, for the Wolverine.
3: That, that is, science does not accept Bigfoot. Uh, the, the, the scientific community that from established universities. Worldwide does not accept Bigfoot as
2: a real biological species at this point in time mm-hmm. uh, if if a body were collected and brought in uh, that many people could examine from the scientific community, then they would there would be no question that Bigfoot is a real biological entity right. Now, but that, that hasn't happened. And until a body is presented to science, I would say uh, you have to be content with folklore and mythology. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean just because they're folklore and mythology today doesn't
3: mean they're not going to be back
1: tomorrow. Right. Yeah. No. Totally. It doesn't. Nothing's been proven or disproven, really. Yeah.
2: And and over the years since. January of 1998 to the present time, I published a monthly newsletter on the subject called the Bigfoot Times to bring readers up to speed on the current information. And when I started publishing the Bigfoot Times newsletter, there were other newsletters that were also being distributed in the United States. And what happened, the Internet started encroaching on people's lives more and more and people started relying on the internet and so the paper newsletter that was mailed out kind of went by the wayside and uh the only one that survived was uh the
3: Bigfoot Times which I publish
1: nice that's awesome congrats Daniel yeah no, that that's very cool that you've been <clears throat> that you've been doing this for so long. That's that's awesome. That's a big accomplishment. Very cool. over. Oh, the newsletter has been published for over
3: twenty years,
1: Man. and uh, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so just to kind of jump back, I, this is something you know, Michael. Michael Rugg just threw a, you know a ton of information at me, but he mentioned a lot of stuff about. Um, some interesting stuff about DNA evidence that's you know pointed to the fact that or it hasn't been able to be identified as a a species that we know of and things like that can you talk about you know maybe some of the DNA evidence that's out there
2: well everything that i know has everything that in fact i was just reading about that in a current book on the subject uh bigfoot and DNA and it's just like As far as I'm concerned, everything out there is inconclusive at the present time. Mm -hmm. And it's just like some of the stuff is interesting and some of the personalities behind the collections of some of this data is interesting. It may be, but until it's written up in a peer-reviewed journal uh, where it definitely states that this is from an unknown
3: species, I will just sit on the fence on the matter. I see
1: and i mean even if it's would something being written up in a you know in a peer reviewed journal saying that it's from an unknown species that wouldn't even what would that really accomplish or prove i, I think i think if it were written up in a the journal
3: nature by very well known scientists
2: that was peer reviewed and they stated that this dna or whatever it is they're analyzing indicates the presence of an unknown primate in North America, I think that would get a lot of people talking instantly about the subject better.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. No, you're right. I can definitely imagine that. So is there, maybe do you feel that there's kind of a hesitance um, around, you know, the scientific community to kind of do something like that just because of the way, the perception of it or anything?
3: I think I think a lot of established scientists kind of steer clear of the
2: whole matter because even today, it's a little bit taboo. But there, there, there's a lot of people that are interested, and it's just like I try to keep abreast on all aspects of the subject matter, and it's just like there's nothing out there in terms of DNA that has been collected that really impresses me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a fellow... I think in 2011, Justin Smeha, in Northern California, who claimed that he shot and killed a juvenile Bigfoot and that they collected blood that dripped on his boots, and then subsequent analysis of the blood
3: on his boots indicated that it was a black bear. Mm. So it's just like when they do stuff
2: in terms of analysis, Sometimes what is hoped for is not always
1: what comes out in the end. Yeah. Well no, that's it's understandable. Oh, man, this is crazy. This is I love this stuff. It's so interesting. And you I like the way you approach it, Daniel, where, you know, you're very kind of logical about it and if it does if it's not conclusive, it does, it's not conclusive, then it's it's you know. I like how you don't specifically source things that aren't you know, proven or whatever, you know? Well, the,
2: the thing is, there's no there's no entry gate into Bigfooting as to
3: what qualifies you to be a researcher or an investigator, uh, so as I got started in my own activities, I kind of learned the
2: ropes through two individuals that are now deceased now, uh, the late- John Green and Renee DeHinden, who's basically, if you look back at it, in terms of who they are in big footing, it's almost like learning how to play basketball from uh, Michael Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, you couldn't have asked for the two best people out there. And uh, so back then, I corresponded with these individuals, and they gave me a lot of advice. And then Later on, we started making phone calls to one
1: another, talking about the subject. Nice, cool. I, I can imagine it's most um, most people who are into it, you know, in the in the way that you are, or you subscribe to the Bigfoot Times, are like. Do you guys all know each other? Is it is it a group of of you know pretty Now hard. back back
2: in the early days when I published the Bigfoot Times there was back in the 70s I published another newsletter called the Bigfoot Times too but it was just one word uh the Bigfoot Times of today is two words Bigfoot Times mm-hmm. but there's too many subscribers too many on the membership we have just under a thousand that I don't know the people anymore back in the early days when I only had just a few dozen subscribers uh, back in the late '70s, early '80s, I knew most of the people. Now there's too many people to know. Right. Well, I mean, that's... but I, 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 do, I do keep in touch with a few people here and there. You know, they and it's it's very easy and convenient to text one another, shoot off an email, and you know,
3: you can all do it by mobile now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. Definitely. So I'm curious what, you know, and I I would assume you get this question a lot, but what is your answer when someone asks you, you know, is Bigfoot real? How do you respond to that?
3: I would respond with an affirmative that yes, it is. And then my, let's just put it this way.
2: If you were to have heart surgery, you're not going to go to a plumber. (laughs) Right. And so... If you want to know about the Bigfoot subject, you would go to someone who has a tremendous amount of background and experience in the subject matter. And I just happen to fit that qualification. Mm-hmm. So if someone were to ask me who has no knowledge about the subject, is Bigfoot real? And I would say absolutely yes. And there's 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 no question in my mind and i've studied uh, the subject matter for decades upon decades and there's no question that these things are real in a biological sense like me and
1: you. Mhm. Man, okay. So so for for you there's enough evidence to show that these that bigfoot is conclusively real, but it's for the scientific community there is not as of yet.
3: True. Okay. True, and part of the scientific
2: community's problem is when there's new ideas that challenge the status quo, they tend to steer clear of the whole thing. I see. And a, a lot of people in the scientific community, based on their training, uh, would probably say, they say, would say, well, first you should rephrase that question and ask, what is the probability
3: that Bigfoot is real? And they would say, The probability is probably very, very low. But if you were to ask me, I would say forget about probability. We
2: just want to know what you think. And my thinking would be that, yes, they are real, real biological species out there, a few in number that are very
3: nocturnal, very secretive, and uh, they just go about their business and you don't see them all the time.
0: Right.
3: No,
2: that's great. Thanks for you know. And and the, here's here's another analogy. When when I'm talking about that, uh, a friends of yours might say, "Don't waste your money on playing the lotto because you'll never win." And then all of a sudden, you read in the paper or see on the news that someone won half a billion dollars playing the Mega Lotto. It does happen, but it's very very
3: rare. So yeah. the, the probability the probability of winning any lotto is very very small, but in reality, people do win. So that's that's how you could make an
2: analogy to the Bigfoot subject.
1: Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, right? No, I can understand that. I I see that analogy. Um. So I guess kind of with that, what is do you have any? You know, I don't know. Like, do you have a hope for the future or a goal or something that you see? um well the the goal in the future is to establish physical evidence
2: uh, hopefully by the time my life is over that we've established that Bigfoot is physically real yeah that that is my when we when we spoke earlier about the end game, that is my end game okay. the business of of getting more video or nighttime video that you could have on these television programs uh That's all fine and dandy, but that doesn't prove it. The only thing that's going to prove it is a body.
0: Yeah.
2: And I've I've said this from the get-go, and uh, until you have a body, you have nothing. Yeah. And as grisly as it may sound, uh, that's what it's going to take to prove the species. Right. And, And a lot of people think that hairs, hair, and... DNA is going to prove it, but it's just like something is as improbable and as fantastic as Bigfoot, which is almost saying like Santa Claus exists. It's going to take a body to do it as opposed to just a DNA sample, in my view.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Man, okay, I like that. So the real goal is to find a body. I I, I like that. So have you you know kind of working on this and researching this for the majority of your lifetime is it does it get frustrating to you that you have that a body has not been found yes and no
3: because it's just like i also play the lotto too and it's just like i continue
2: to play and it's just like i've never won but yeah. i'm not frustrated i still i still take a few dollars here and there and play lotto tickets but I'm almost confident that uh, I'm not going to win, but there's that small chance. And so I'm saying, you know, the same thing with Bigfoot. When I go out in the woods, I'm pretty confident, even though that's a bad attitude, that I'm not going to see anything or find any evidence. But there's always that possibility that you might. So
3: you continue to go. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: So do you have any, any particular... So, like I know, the the Patterson Gimlin film is is probably the the most famous, you know, footage. I guess of, of Bigfoot. That's the one. Yeah, I, it, it,
0: go ahead, Daniel. The
3: the the film is now just over fifty two years old. It was shot October twentieth of
2: nineteen sixty seven, and it's not a videotape. Uh, it was shot with film, so what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. That film was actually made
3: uh, at the place that they said it was. Uh, There's there's no faking that, and it was processed the very next day,
2: and it was shown for the first time on a screen uh, October 22nd on Sunday in Yakima, Washington. Okay. And the guy the guy who very first saw the film, Roger Patterson's brother-in-law, Aldi Atley which is which is really the irony of it died exactly fifty-two years to the day he died october twenty first of two thousand nineteen at the age of eighty-five He just died last month, and on october twenty first of nineteen sixty seven he took receipt of that film that his brother-in-law Roger Patterson mailed. Airmailed to him from Eureka to Yakima, and he took that film. Fifty-two years later, at age eighty-five, he died of uh, a stroke—the complications of a stroke. And so, the irony of that. Uh, and and but the beauty of it—it it is film, and film is, believe it or not, is is uh, Kodachrome film is very sharp and that the images that he took were actually very sharp and that you could see quite a lot of detail and that uh, there's there's no indication that anything is fake about the film. And, all you know, you could say till you're blue in the face that it's fake, but no one has ever put a finger on it to say, like, what's fake about the film. It's just the fact that you see this thing on a screen and your first reaction, that's impossible, that can't be happening. So your instinct says that's a fake film. Right. It's not based it's not based on uh being analytical or scientific in terms of analysis of the film itself. But yeah, fifty-two years later, the PG film or the Patterson Gimlin film is still the crowning glory of all of Bigfooting because here's what happened. You had two eyewitnesses, uh, Roger Patterson, who's since passed away in, I think, January of 73 or 72, and Bob Gimlin, who's still living, who still stands by his story. You have two eyewitnesses to the event. Uh, You have Roger, who took a film of what he saw. Uh, So you have the film as evidence. After that they took movie footage of the tracks in the ground that were left behind so there is your evidence of footprints in the ground so they took movie film of the footprints and then after that they took plaster of paris castings of the tracks and so there's a whole lot of associated evidence with that one particular film and even today uh that film site is still locatable. And so I was there, let me think, last year, October of 2018, I was on that film site with some
3: colleagues, and we were doing some work there. And so there's a lot of evidence associated with that film that, uh,
2: taken as a group, had it been, say, like a, someone who's evading the law that they were looking for and someone got a film of that person that that would be very convincing evidence that that person is in that area
0: oh okay
1: interesting yeah i like that comparison to it okay so in your kind of a does that seem to be one of the you know kind of best like that's just that's the famous one is its it Is it popular and famous, rightly so, or is there some other good, um, you know, photos or, or videos that maybe we're not aware of?
3: Well, one that doesn't get any publicity
2: is what happened to Randy Chase, and I believe this was November of 2005. Yeah, I think it was November of 2005. And Randy Chase is an electrician who lives in Seattle, the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And his favorite pastime is to go out hiking in the woods by himself. And on this particular occasion, I think he was going to go hiking with a friend who decided not to go. And he took with him his camera, which he always does. And he went up to an area called Silver Star Mountain and he had one of the early versions of a digital camera that didn't have much megapixel whatever to get information. Right. But he gets up near the top of the peak, and it's snowing, and it's cold, and I think he said it was like in the 30s, uh, but he still went up there because of the view, and he likes to hike. Uh, and he got up there, and he saw something that immediately caught his eye. He said, well, that if that's a rock... That wasn't there the last time I've been up there because he's hiked up there before. And whatever was there started to move. And so what he did is he got his camera out and started taking pictures. And uh, the guy's name is Randy Chase, and he took these photos. They never got a whole lot of publicity, but uh, uh, I went up to investigate firsthand, uh, to check out the the location. And, uh, in fact, I went twice. I drove from Los Angeles to the Seattle area and went up to Silver Star Mountain to specifically investigate that case. The first time out, there was no Randy Chase with me because I didn't actually know who he was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on my second go around, by then, a colleague of mine who was on Finding Bigfoot, Cliff Perakman, was at my house and I was discussing that incident. And he goes, oh, you mean Randy Chase. And I go, oh, is that his name? And I said, that's interesting. And I said, I'd like to get contact information.
3: So in June, May, June of 2009, uh, there was a, a conference up in Yakima, Washington the Bigfoot roundup I think they
2: called it and there was quite a few people out there and it was kind of an outdoor meet and I thought to myself the last thing I want is the looky-loos and the Bigfoot mob out there with me on an investigation with Randy Chase because that would detract from what I was trying to accomplish to really get a feel for the eyewitness because this was the first time I met him
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so I kept I kept everything Completely quiet. The only way to keep a secret in the Bigfoot field is to tell nobody. (laughs) And when I went out, we had it all prearranged, and so I met him in the morning, and we went out, uh, met him, had some breakfast, and then we hiked up to the area. It's a good hike. And he told me uh, what had transpired, and I did an audio-taped recording of him of what he experienced on that day in question and he passed all my tests in terms of him as a witness in terms of credibility. Mm-hmm. He came across a very credible and he got these photos. There's like one, two, three, I think there might be four, four photos of with the subject in it. And then after that happened, you could think of it as a mountain peak. And so The thing goes away from him down the mountainside.
3: And he I don't think he was necessarily scared, but he was cold. And uh, he wanted to get back to his vehicle. So he got those photos and then turned around and headed back for his car.
2: Uh, And he looks back and he says, you know what? It would have been interesting if I would have went up to see where that thing was walking to see if I could have seen prints in the ground. He never did that.
3: Instead, he went the other way. And but uh,
2: that that to me
3: is a very uh, uh, substantial case. Uh, And even though it was just one person,
2: I was very impressed by everything he told me. And it's it's like one of the best cases
3: I've ever investigated. Nice.
1: Awesome. So do you do a lot of kind of investigating of cases and eyewitness stuff like that? When
2: when I can, I work full-time as a union-licensed electrician, so it's not like I can be out in the field all the time. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are kind of what you would call, I guess, full-time Bigfoot hunters, but I'm not certain as to exactly what their finances are. It might be a tough go because there's not even today I don't think there's a whole lot of money to be made out just being in the field.
0: Mm-hmm. There
2: is a lot, there is some money to be made having an Instagram account and having followers and
1: posting everything that you can. And it's just like, that's just not me. Right. Yeah, no, I get that. Man. Well, this is awesome, Daniel. I love talking to you. This is super interesting and fun to, to, to dive into. Um, so can you share well, with people? Oh, go ahead. It just the the thing is,
0: it's
3: just like there's different degrees of bigfooters out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There are some people who know a lot about the subject matter, and then there's a lot of people who wish they knew a lot about the subject matter but don't. Yeah. yeah, I just happen I just happen to have been around for a very long amount of time. I know a lot about the specifics about a lot of cases. I've been all over the United States investigating. Uh, in 1996 i took my motor home
3: all the way to the east coast and back
2: uh, uh investigating these reports and i was i met a lot of people and talked with a lot of eyewitnesses and i was very impressed by what i was what i was told mm-hmm. and i'm continuing to do it and it's just like i do it as often as i can nice
1: yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all this stuff because I fall into that second camp where I just find it so interesting and I just I wish I knew more, but there's, there's so much out there too. And it's hard to, I mean, doing an internet search, it's tough to sift through the amount of information that's out there.
2: Yeah, that's that's true. And there's a lot of Bigfooters that are strictly, they're Bigfooting as they're digital keyboard warriors as a friend of mine put it in the sense that all of their Bigfooting is done behind a computer screen, and that's it. Yeah. And uh, so, like I said, there's different degrees of people involved in the Bigfoot community. And uh, for myself, I think there's going to be in May the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. And as far as I can tell, I'm thinking the organizers of that meet want to invite me to give a talk. And so... I probably will
3: give a talk in Ohio in May. Oh,
1: cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. So have you ever had a, a Bigfoot sighting yourself?
3: No, but
1: I've seen tracks on two different occasions.
2: Once here in Hemet, California, before Hemet got built up. And in fact, I think where Doug Trapp and myself saw these prints was where they built the dam now. But Dick and June Putnam, I think they're both deceased now, uh, and their kids were having stuff happen back in the Hemet area and we got wind of it and I was still in high school and we started making runs out there on the weekends and uh on this one particular occasion in nineteen eighty Uh, Doug, I wasn't driving then, but Doug was, and uh, he was out of high school. So we decided to go out there and look around. And to my memory, it had rained quite a bit before. And it was just a nice drive out there. And we didn't tell anyone we were going to be out there. And so to my memory, we went to Dick and June Putnam's house, and nobody was home. So we said, okay, let's just kind of look around, you know. And uh, it had rained so much, the dirt roads that we were on back there, uh, there was no paved roads, they were just all dirt roads, that they were kind of rutted where you had to take your vehicle and kind of drive around the big rutting from the rain. And so we got to an area where there was like a little creek that was, started by the rain and for those people who don't know Hammett is kind of halfway in between San Diego and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh so this is 1980 and I'm 17 years old. And so we're looking around and I think we both noticed at the same time. We looked down and uh we, I think he said like holy crap and I i I looked at him and I, I I'm not sure if I said anything but I had that expression on my face like, holy smokes. (laughs) And there were these tracks that were right by the creek that came, I think, on one side of the creek. Got to remember, this is 1980, so it's almost like 40 years ago, huh? Yeah. See, 20, 20, 39 years ago. So it's on one side of the creek, and then it comes on the other side of the creek. And it looked like there was a tree there, and it looked like it kind of steered around the tree because... The tree was very low-hanging, and it looked like whatever kind of went around not to hit its head or whatever. At least that's what we thought it did. And he had plaster of Paris, and he tried to make a plaster of Paris casting. And it kind of broke up because I guess the plaster was already moist or whatever, but we didn't, we didn't get a casting. I got some photos, but the photos weren't really that good, and this was like on an Instamatic 110 camera. But what was very clear to me was the hill. And the hill was very big, uh, and where you could see the hill indentation in the ground. It was kind of like sandy dirt. And uh, that was the first time I saw tracks. And then in August of 1986, I got a call from CNN, which was, I guess, young at the time. And they told me about. Uh, the Menachee Meadows up in Inyo National Forest about some bridge builders who had had a sighting just recently. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. And so I had a couple of days off from work, and I drove out there, and I happened to bump into the construction crew. They were building a footbridge across the Kern River and they were camped out there with a tent out in the wilds. And one of these things, a Bigfoot had come in and scared the crap out of them, so much so that when this happened, that they left the area and then came back. And so I get out to them, and I, I'm i doing a taped interview with them, and that we're sitting at a makeshift table that they had made for their lunch, And so they started to tell me what had transpired, and uh, one of the guys says the sound that it made was like a stadium loudspeaker three three feet in front of you. He said it was that loud. And he said because of the volume, the volume was so heavy and it was so powerful, they knew that no one was out in the woods late at night trying to fake this sighting because they had a gun. And uh, they knew that whatever was out there was real, and they decided
3: to get out of that area.
2: But so during the course of the taped interview, they asked, uh, I asked, I said, well, were any tracks seen? And uh, they said, yeah. In fact, uh, then I stopped the tape real quick, and I said, said, really? I said, are there—and I was there within a week or a week and a half after the fact— and they said, "Yeah, the tracks are up here." And so I said, "Hey, let's 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 go see if we could see them." And so we went to go look at the
3: tracks, and it was in very sandy soil. The tracks weren't very good, but there they were. And
2: I think I measured one, and it was just short of fourteen inches. And again, I was very impressed. They weren't good tracks, but it was the second time I saw tracks. Oh. Between 1980 and 1986, which is a long time ago, those are the only two times I had seen tracks. And uh, the second time, because there were eyewitnesses involved, it made the tracks even
3: more impressive.
1: Yeah. Wow. Man, that's crazy. Thank you for sharing those stories. Those are fun. Yeah, but again, you know,
2: from 80 to 86, I saw tracks. And after that, I've never seen anything that I would consider a track. So you get two times and the rest of the time you don't see anything.
1: Yeah. And
2: so when people, when people tell me that they see evidence all the time, I scratch my head and I'm wondering, well, what are they doing that I'm not?
1: Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, Ooh, man. Well, Daniel, why don't, can you share with everybody listening, the audience, where we can you know, maybe find you on social media or where we can get more into the uh, Bigfoot things?
2: I'm on Facebook uh, under Daniel Perez, but if they want to get a yearly membership to the newsletter, which is $18.50 and you get it every month, mailed to you in the postal mail, I mean, you get to actually put it in your hands. Yeah, love but it. The new- But it's called BigfootTimes.net. Just go to BigfootTimes.net, and you'll see the website. And it is the only newsletter in the world that is still published and is still mailed out to the readership. Nice. So if people like me on your podcast here, they're going to love the newsletter.
1: Cool. No, definitely. Well, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes so folks can easily click on that and, and check that stuff out for sure. Um, man this is great Do you is there anything else you'd like to you know share or perhaps ask of the audience or anything like that
3: well I mean if people have questions they can ask but uh, I'm
2: just telling you what I know and uh, I've dealt with I've dealt with all the major investigators out there
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum is extremely well known in the Bigfoot community partly because he has a PhD and he works at the university level uh partly because he's he's very
3: good at what he does too uh but uh
2: so he got in touch with me i think way back in the seventies, and he wrote a letter because I was publishing another time
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so he wrote to me and so and we're still in touch he's, he actually gets the newsletter
3: today, and uh who else is uh uh, finding Bigfoot moneymaker from finding Bigfoot actually reached out to me in a telephone call back in 1989. So I was one of the first people to ever know him as a Bigfoot investigator.
1: Huh. Cool. Yeah. Man. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Daniel, for coming on and, you know, taking the time to share all this stuff. I love it. And uh, yeah, I really hope that's something, uh, it would be so fun to find, you know a body or or something more conclusive like that and really see this push into the mainstream and everything that would just be
3: well if 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 the body is found as far as i'm concerned that event will probably be as big as the moonwalk
1: Uh, yeah totally i could imagine yeah cool well thank you daniel i'll let you get going we'll take up any of your time but uh yeah appreciate it again thank you so much well thank you for having me and uh very good Well, there you have it. Thank you to Daniel for being on the show. Thank you to you for listening all the way through. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Do you think Bigfoot is real or not? Are you on the fence? Do you think it's possible or it's unlikely, uh, send me an email to Travis at com and tell me or find me on social media. Um, you can send me an e- a message or, or tag me in your posts about Bigfoot on Instagram. I'm on there as at curiosityness podcast. Uh, I'm curious as for me, I don't, unlike Daniel, I don't think I can conclusively say yes, Bigfoot exists, because I just, I don't feel like I could say that. I'm more towards, I'm in between Daniel and the scientific community, I think, where if some pretty good DNA evidence came up, I'd be like, oh yeah, Bigfoot exists, but I don't know if I need a whole body, you know, so I'm kind of in the middle where I can't say yes, but I think it's it's likely, it seems like it, and I would love that. It would just be awesome. It would be bigger than the moon landing or on the same par as Daniel said. So that's it. That's episode 73. Thanks for listening all the way through. Again, if you maybe know somebody, a friend or a family member perhaps, who would find this information in this episode uh, interesting, I would love it if you send it to him. I'd love it if you shared this show on your Instagram, tag me at Curiosityness podcast, tag me on Facebook at curiosityitynesspodcast. No on Facebook. It's just at curiosityness. So I'd love it. If you share it, it really helps out the show spreads it around and hopefully people find the show that like it and you know, people that may, so that's it. I'm rambling again. Um, but thanks for being here and I'll see you in episode 74. Bye Bye.